From WUVT-FM Blacksburg, I'm Andy Morikawa, and you're listening to Talk at the Table. WUVT-FM is student-operated, listener-supported radio for the New River Valley community. Our guests on Talk at the Table help us understand what's happening in the global network of people building community that works for us all. Joining me in the studio today is my guest, Penny J. Franklin, local elected official, local and national union leader and civil rights activist from Christiansburg, Virginia. Penny was recently the featured Community Voices speaker at the Lyric Theater in Blacksburg. In her talk, Stepping Up, Penny shared her life's journey that has taken her from being largely uninvolved in community life to becoming the first African-American elected to public office in Montgomery County. Welcome to Talk at the Table, Penny Franklin. It's great to have you as our guest. Great to be here. And with me in the studio to interview Penny are my colleagues, Eli Jamison and Eric Hodges, who are members of the Community Voices team. Eli Jamison is a doctoral candidate in Virginia Tech's ASPECT program, and her research explores opportunities to expand the bounds of corporate social responsibility to include issues of social justice through the lens of immigrant labor. Eric Hodges is a member of the Community Voices team and a PhD student in the School of Public and International Affairs. Eric's research focuses on helping military veterans reconnect with their communities. Welcome, Eli and Eric. Thanks for being a part of our conversation today with Penny Franklin. Thanks, Andy. It's great to have you here. And to our listeners, because this show is a recording, we'll not be taking your calls. So, Penny, you're the first African American to be elected to public office in Montgomery County, Virginia. You serve on and are a former chair of the Montgomery County Board of Education, member of the Virginia School Board Association Board of Directors, president of Local 82160 of the IUECWA, a former board chair and now the area chair of the Montgomery County, Radford City, Floyd County, NAACP, and a member of the National Executive Council of the IUE. You are co-founder of the Community Group, an African-American civil society organization in Montgomery County, and a founding member of the New Mountain Climbers, the first giving circle in Southwest Virginia, the first African-American philanthropy in Southwest Virginia. What happened in your life that motivated you to become so engaged in public life, in civic action, in community leadership for change? Well, um, I guess it really started when the school system wasn't treating my children and other African-American children fairly as far as discipline and you don't mess with my kids <laughs> so that that kind of was the the leapfrog and then getting involved with my local union um, first on the trustee level and you know it just took off from there you understand taking care of people making sure people are being treated right is something that was you know was how I was bought up, how I was raised, uh, my parents. So that's how I got started. And as I was getting started and understanding that my kids were getting older, getting ready to graduate from high school, and knowing that we're supposed to leave this place better than it was when we got here, that's my belief, uh, I started having a conversation with God and saying, okay, what is it you want me to do? What What is it? And he has just been continuously opening doors. And that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, because he said, okay, 
Here you go. And it, it looks like uh, every time you take a step or do something that uh, that's not the end of it. It's amazing. Um, it, it just goes, keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And I believe that's because I have made it clear I'm going to be diligent with the opportunities and the responsibilities that he has blessed me with and make sure that that is a blessing for other folks. So um, I, I'm hoping that's because I'm doing good work and he's saying, okay, keep going. Here's something else. See what you can do. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Hey, Penny, this is Eric. Uh, I want to go back to what you were talking about uh, regarding uh, your kids not being treated fairly in school. And I'm just curious, you know, when, when that happened, how did you go about getting involved? Um, talked with the principals, um, with the NAACP, yeah. getting involved with that, the education committee. They reached out to parents and because the African-American parents in Montgomery County weren't being believed is the only word I can use that these things were happening with their children. Things seemed to be taken one incident at a time and nobody was looking at the big picture as to what was going on with the African-American children. And sometimes it was with the same teacher repeatedly throughout the years. So the education chair at that time asked us to write statements as to what had been going on with our children. And it was very eye-opening at one of the meetings that myself and a couple of other parents had had the same issues with the same teacher for over a number of years. So um, working with the NAACP mm -hmm. and then just being a unhappy parent, not letting go, right. um, understanding the structure and that there was a superintendent that needed to be uh, addressed. And at that time, he was not very receptive. It was still that little game, man, we're looking into it. Oh, well, talk to me and tell me. And you walk into his office and it was felt cold and didn't feel like much was going to happen, and it didn't. Um, thankfully, a new superintendent was hired, and I just happened to be addressing the school board because the principal that I had been complaining to told me he didn't care who I talked to. Hmm. So I said, okay. So I addressed the board, and the new superintendent was his first board meeting. <laughs> and that was on Tuesday night, and on Friday morning, myself and my mother were meeting with the superintendent because he wanted to know exactly what was going on in Montgomery County. And it just kind of has gone on from there. You have to be careful what you say. Yes. <laughs> my, I think sometimes in my head, I think a lot of things, and I'm going, if you say it, if you say it, you're going to have to do it. Yeah. So you have to be careful what you say. Yes. Um, do you think things have improved in, in the school system as far as uh, people of you know, color being treated more fairly? Or Yes, we have the, the data that shows, yes, it has. But at the same time, you also hear from the students who say, we still get called the N-word. And folks still flash their Confederate flags at us. And I don't feel that I'm getting treated um, the same way by the teachers in the classroom. You know, we've, we've even had um, elementary students say, you know, I raise my hand, I don't get called on. Or I tell, some, tell the teacher or someone I've been called the N-word and it's, they don't know how to, how to handle it. 
So things, there's an awareness, but as far as folks understanding how do I deal with it, I think we still have some strides to make there. Right. Um, if, to follow up on that, I'm thinking about your, um, your experiences that led to organizations and your, that you've been such an instrumental leader in. Um, I was wondering if you could talk, uh, was this in, recently the dialogue on race in Montgomery County you've been involved in? What was the inspiration for this? How, how did, was it a direct path from your experience as a mom into this ongoing effort now? And, and what do you hope that will accomplish at the, you know, at a broader level? Well, I guess from my core, making sure folks are being treated fairly, you know, whether it's my children or someone else's or another person. Um, as far as the dialogue on race, having lived here in Montgomery County all my life and understanding that there were segments of my community, the African-American community, who were not being heard and feeling frustrated and in some ways doesn't do any good to talk about it because nobody's going to do anything. And my belief is the squeaky wheel gets the oil and if I have to squeak really, really loud, then I'm going to get a whole lot of oil. And the dialogue on race through our community group, you know, when I you know, raised the, the uh, thought, could we do this? Is this something we want to look at? And everyone was like, yes. And then it took a lot of time to figure out how we do it, three years. How do we do this? How do we talk about race? Um, and it's just snowballed into this wonderful being of its own. And the African-American folks who've been involved with it are saying, oh, well, my concerns, someone is listening to them and there are some actions being taken. And Montgomery County is the focus now, but okay, we can move this to the world, quite frankly. You know, everyone needs to be treated fairly. Everyone needs to be heard. Here's a process we use, and the, here's what the impact is. How do you think this is going to work in your community? Let's make it fit. Could you yeah. talk a little bit about the lessons learned? That's, that can't have been three years. That clearly must have been a, a, a process <laughs> with its ups and downs. And yeah. what are some of the most valuable things that you think you took away or the challenges? Um, I guess it's real simple. Uh, sometimes you just have to stop talking and do it. Mm. And we, a wonderful group of people, a great committee, and we called on the Justice Department, you know, help us understand how we can do this. How can you all help us? Uh, the city of Lynchburg, talking with one of their folks there who they did a similar uh, thing as far as a dialogue in, about race. And it was like, it just doesn't fit what's happening in Montgomery County because there was no big issue, no big incident, anything that said we've got to talk about this. But in a way there was, because if you all remember in Blacksburg, the mascot was the Indian and it changed because a group of Native Americans said, we feel this is offensive. And for 18 months, this was an issue in Montgomery County on a level that really astonished me and I saw things in people who I had known for years not understanding that 
this could be offensive to a group of people, what you were doing with them, with their name. Um, it just, it, it took me way back and I had to think about, is this a community? Are these the people that I know? Um, then we hired the first African-American superintendent. The media, the community, other elected officials literally lost their minds. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. And I, and I helped them understand that you've lost your minds because she was doing the right thing. She was doing things that the board, when they were looking for a candidate, helped them understand there's some changes that need to happen. And when she came in and did them as an African-American woman, they couldn't handle it. And for two years, when we could have been moving forward in the district, we were putting out fires, and that was wrong. But this community was doing that. And when our president was up for election with his first term, again, I saw things in this community that I just, I'm like, really? And it was to do nothing. All three of these things were about race and folks not understanding and accepting that people have feelings and people have concerns and needs and wants and they need to be addressed just like everyone else. So that's what drove the dialogue on race for me. It's like we've got to start talking about this because if we don't keep talking about it, nothing will change. And I am not about keeping things the same. Yeah. So my grandkids are going to live in a better place if I have anything to do with it. So. Penny, um, I was reading a press release for your your, TED, uh, your talk tonight for Community Voices, and you had a phrase in there called uh, being a citizen in a time of great danger. And I thought that was really interesting. I was just curious what you meant by that. Um, I believe we are at some tipping points in this, con in this country. And if we tip the wrong way, people of color are going to be, well, the system, let's talk, let's talk about the justice system. The justice system, by their own account, is biased to African Americans and Latinos, particularly the males. And we're systematically being locked up, systematically being, um, given felons so that you can't get jobs, you can't vote, you, you just are not a part of the community. So we're going to end up with back in the 17th, 1600s, mm -hmm. where you have a handful of people who are controlling everything, and the rest of us, who will be the majority mm -hmm. by far, are going to be left out. We're going to be tossed crumbs as we feel you can benefit me as a white person. And it's just very, 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 very scary that so many people in this country will be marginalized. One of the questions I hear from people often when I encourage people to get involved in their communities is, what can I do? What should I do? What would you say to, that people need to do, citizens need to do in, in these times to try to address that issue that you're talking about of being on the precipice and making sure that it doesn't go that way? Well, one, you need to show up where decisions are being made. You need to show up and hear what those decisions are. And then you need to speak up. 
And if need be, you need to step up and say, okay, I need to be there to be a voice for those people who are on the other side of this conversation to make sure that we don't tip over to the wrong direct in the wrong direction. So for me, show up, speak up and step up. Um, to that end, it also in your bio, it mentions that you are an outspoken truth teller. <laughs> Would you speak a little bit about what that means to you to be a truth teller as a community activist and community community leader? Um, I'm very time oriented and I do not have time to constantly make people feel good about things that they need to know, things that need to change. So here's the way it is. What do we do about it? So speaking the truth, doing it when it needs to be spoken and to whom it needs to be spoken and then saying, okay, how do, how do we fix this? How do we make this work? What, how do we make it better? Uh, so I'm, I'm just not one of those beat around the bush f- folks, and it really kind of irritates me when folks go about things that way. Being in the uh, school system, understanding we have 13 years. We have those children for 13 years. And if we're not speaking to and doing things right now, that's another year, two years, that this child may not get what they need to be able to be successful. So it's a waste of time. <laughs> I don't believe in it. In, the, in your, in your um, quest, it sounds like a quest uh, of truth-telling, have you had surprising moments that, that it opened up dialogues that were unexpected or avenues that maybe through that community engagement, through engaging the community in, in your truth, um, that, that opened up new opportunities or new directions for you? Um, mm. or helped open up the paths as Andy led off by saying it seems like there's always something new for you well again I believe things that are being opening for me that's God okay um, but again the the dialogue on race that has been huge I could not have imagined that we would have had law enforcement engage at the level that they're engaging. And as I spoke before about our justice system, if we have the ear of law enforcement and, and they're hearing, I need to do something differently in my department and I need to take a deeper look at what we're actually you know, doing and then make a change, that can be huge for many folks in this community, whether it be black or white. But so for me, that is this dialogue on race has just blown me away. I had no idea. The, the first gathering we had, I was saying, if we can get 30 people there, I'll be I'll be on top of the world. And it bloomed, bloomed into over 100. And a lot of those folks have continue to be engaged for almost a year now and are building relationships with each other that weren't there before. And when I hear people on, from the white community and the black community and they talk about someone that I know on either the black community or the white community, and I'm going, okay, you know, they here we are. We're building these connections. People know each other. And that's what it's 
coming that that's what it would have to come down to building relationships so that there's trust so that we move forward with when folks say I've got an issue or there's a problem we need to do something about it I've got people behind me who are saying yeah we do and we can so okay let's do it so we've heard a lot about some of the divisions that are in the community and specifically in this case talking about race Um, how important is it to try to build relationships between people on both sides. And you talked about that a little bit in the dialogue on race, but what, how important is it to build those relationships across those divides? Oh, it's crucial. I mean, that is the key. If I don't know you, if I don't know what you're about, what your experience is, what your background, what your beliefs are, then I can feed into stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And those could be quite, quite, ridiculous really mm-hmm. um, so if I build a relationship with you if I know who you are where you live you know what your beliefs are uh, that you have a sense of humor or you don't have a sense of humor right. I mean just those simple things that we learn about people who we uh, become friends with or don't become friends with or acquaintances with are people who mm, I really don't believe in a whole lot that they're believing in, but on this issue, we have common ground and we can work together. I mean, we we do not, I don't believe that we have to, you know, be best buddies and, but if there are issues that need to be addressed, then we need to put all the other things aside and say, okay, I've got some ideas and I've got time and I'm willing. And in many cases, I have some funds yeah. that I can help with that effort. Right. So, but you have to have, some type of relationship because I'm just not going to write you a check you know yeah. just because I like your beard right you know, <laughs> thank um, you but, <laughs> but you know there there may be other reasons why I will and unless I sit down and talk with you or work with you in some way yeah we won't what do you think are some of the biggest challenges to building those relationships uh, the stereotypes yeah those are some of the biggest biggest problems and uh, in our community, where yeah. the demographics are so off, you know, twenty-five um, less than five percent African American, mm-hmm. uh, the Asian population is is just a little above that, and then everybody else is below that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you can literally walk out of your house, and if you live alone, you can go all day long in Montgomery County and not necessarily run into another person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the things that we have to overcome. Right. What are those gathering places? We have our churches, our synagogues, our, our religious gatherings where, again, we're very, very separate. And that to me has always been very strange, mm-hmm. okay, for the biggest part, even if it's not the same belief, there is a foundation of love and caring and but on Sundays or Saturdays we go our different ways and okay I'm over here I'm over there over here and the two shall never meet um, some churches for uh, Black History Month they have a service together once a year and quite frankly I stopped participating with that with the church, my church, uh, and another white church, because I'm like, w- what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, we already know each other from community already. 
So why are we coming together one Sunday for a couple of hours and we don't come together, we don't even visit each other's churches during the rest of the year? Mm-hmm. So um, overcoming those types of things, that feel-good stuff, and get down to, oh, this doesn't feel so good, but I know I need to push through it because we, we've got to make things better yeah. and do something meaningful so I can build a relationship with someone else. Those are some of the things that we have to we have to work on, um, and it's not the it's not the easy stuff. That's the hard stuff. And dialogue on race again is an excellent place for anyone to participate in and start working on that. It can be uncomfortable, but you know it's like a new pair of shoes. You got to break them in a little bit, right? So we have to break each other into who we are. I think I answered what you said. You did. <laughs> okay. Um, I, in addition to your community leadership, you've also been a union, uh, la- a labor leader. I would be really interested to hear you talk a little bit about your experiences and what you care, what you've carried into those places as well. What changes have you seen, um, and what what motivated you to be a union leader here as well uh, as part of your journey? people not being treated fairly. You know, it's that simple. (laughs) Um, When you go to work every day and you're expected to do your job, you do your job, and the company's making lots of money, I expect to get my share of it. I expect to be respected for coming to work every day and doing my job so that you're making a lot of money so that everyone should be able to get a share of it. Um, And being treated literally with dignity. When I first start working with my employer, I have this thing about women not being called girls or honey mm-hmm. or sweetheart or any of those things. As I told them, every last one of us was at least 18 years old. We are not girls. And my name is Penny or Miss Franklin. Do not call me honey or do not call me girl. And that was a change that went on in that building over a couple of years because when I heard it, I spoke to it. And I know there are a lot of women who said, oh, I think that's, I'm okay with that. Well, if you really think about it, it's not. It's, it's demeaning. So that's one of the things that I think I had an impact with. But as far as a union leader, it can be very challenging. Um, in my facility, there are, I think, seven, maybe six African-Americans. Um, and folks, we are in Southwest Virginia. Mm-hmm. And it has been a real struggle to have folks trust and believe that my interest is their best interest, that what I do and what I say on their behalf and decisions that are being made are made in their best interest. And sometimes the color of my skin plays a huge part into how that how that happens, you know. I have gone from being one of the most wonderful people that folks thought about in the plant to being voted out of office and 
then constantly called on because I had the skills and the knowledge to do what needed to be done to help keep things moving in the right direction. So it's, it's been a struggle. But at the same time, by doing those things and making sure that my local's voice is being heard, I now have an opportunity to work at the national level, which also brings benefits back to my facility because we are small. Our membership is small. And just like in any other corporation, in unions, you know, it's that squeaky wheel. And when you're small, unless you have, unless you're a squeaky wheel, you you don't always get things that you need to support your your membership. So um, again, it goes back to making sure people are being treated fairly. And for me, it doesn't matter whether you like me or not. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I feel is best. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Talk at the Table. We're coming to you from the studios of WUVT-FM 90.7 Blacksburg, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Talk at the Table, and we're back in the studios with our guest, Penny Franklin, and our guest interviewers, Eric Hodges uh, and Eli Jameson. Hi, Penny. This is Eric again. Uh, I, it sounds like your faith has played a very important role in your work as a leader. And I was just curious if you could say a little bit about, you know, how your faith and religion has influenced you in, in these activities. Uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, the golden rule, you know, do unto others if you have them do unto you. We're supposed to be our brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that, you know. Not all of us may able may be able to have huge impacts on people's lives, but being able to make sure someone has a meal, mm-hmm. letting someone know that someone is does care and understands what they're going through, to me that's being your brother's keeper, being there, making sure everything is gonna, you know, to the best of your ability is going the right way that people aren't falling through the cracks, people aren't in any more need than, you know, you can you can help control. Um, I believe that God said, you know, and I don't know the verse and things, but he's, he says, okay, so who shall I send? And when I was asking him, okay, what is it I'm supposed to do? I was saying to him, I'm ready to go, send me. And... He has continued to bless me with the opportunities to be in positions where I can help people. And if I couldn't help people, what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, I just. Do you think that uh, the mentality of the golden rule, do you think people have been losing that in our society? Is that why we're having sort of these divides and we're at this time of great danger? Or is it more of a the system itself does not allow people to interact in certain ways to help each other out? Um, I'm trying to I guess I'm trying to to figure out whether it's an individual thing or it's something about the system itself that's that's causing us to to be in this difficult time. Well, I like to try to keep things as basic as possible. So I my first instinct is to say it's an individual thing mm-hmm. because individuals make up systems. Um, if my belief as an individual is I need to get everything I can for me and 
if you're not getting what you get, then that's some some something wrong with what you're doing. And I have watched people step on people to get what they need and what they want. And other people just left wondering what happened, you know. So I do believe, and, and not only in the, the world, but in this country in particular, the, the capital, capitalist system that we live in where everybody gets their own, everybody pulls themselves up by their bootstraps, not everybody has bootstraps to pull themselves <laughs> up by. You know, we we did not when we came when this country was founded, folks that were here, you know, did not stand a chance. The folks who, who were bought here, they were in chains. They had no chance. And then when the when the opportunities were awarded through the legal system, then there's stepping stones that are put in place to make sure you don't get this so far. Mm-hmm. Um, the educational system, again, you know, I know it. And despite how hard folks may think they are working to make things uh, a level playing field, it's not. Uh, so individual hearts need to be changed, minds need to be open, that we do need to go back to that taking care of each other and not... I'm going to get what I can get. On that end, what do you see as the next big challenge uh, confronting us as a society, either locally or broader as you see it? What, where do you see us really needing to focus our attention as a, as a community leader, as a civil rights activist? Well, one is education. We have got to start putting money into education, paying the teachers, you know, have making sure that the technology and the systems that we need for our children to compete on a global in a global society are there and that there's no question when funds are needed to improve it we need to make sure folks are being held accountable as to what they're doing in the classrooms um, accountability is a big thing i expect folks to hold me accountable and if not i'm going to ask them why not? You know, you, you should be looking at what I'm doing. If someone's not asking me a question, questioning what I'm doing, and I don't have a good answer for it that's moving things forward, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, from the labor side, we watched jobs leave this country hand over fist. And right now there's a big trade agreement that's out there, Trans-Pacific uh, Trade Act. And if that one passed... We call it NAFTA on steroids. It will help deregulate some of the, the regulations that we have in our country as far as environment, environmental things. What a lot of folks don't understand is when these trade acts go through, for example, NAFTA, it devastated the farmers in Mexico and in South America because corporate America flooded those countries with produce and other things that they were providing. So now that they're coming to the U.S., then why are they here? They're taking taking our jobs and they're illegal. Well, you gave them no, no choice. They're trying to feed their families. So immigration reform would be another big one. Bring those jobs home. Stop sub, subsidizing companies, corporations to take the stuff offshore. You know, 
you know, people keep saying jobs, jobs. Well, the jobs are gone. They have to come back and you have to give incentives or you penalize these companies for being where they're at and then bringing the junk back in. You know, how many times have you heard someone say a TV, a watch or, or an appliance? They're so inexpensive, it's cheaper to just go out and buy a new one versus fix it. Well, those were jobs that people had fixing appliances and cars and things like that versus just buying another one because it's so cheap. You know, so there's a whole lot of things we need to do. And for me, these days, a lot of time I, times I find myself telling folks, follow the money. Mm-hmm. Follow the money and you'll see where the problem is. Mm-hmm. So we need to, this money-oriented society that we have needs to go back to a people-oriented society and we, we will be much better off, my opinion. You talked about the importance of education and sort of it all starting there. What, what things do we need to be educating people about? You know, what are the capacities people need to be able to step up you know, and, and speak up and, and make these changes in the community? Well, one, uh, we need to be teaching each other about each other, mm-hmm. the truth about each other, mm-hmm. okay, so that folks are educated and not listening to the stereotypes. Um, we need to make sure that everyone has that opportunity. Um, a lot of policies and a lot of systems are going to, you know, ebooks and going to electronic devices in the classroom and children being able to bring their own. And now you think about it, you're in a classroom and you have the latest little gadget. And if the school system has said, we're, this is how we're going to go and we will provide, you know, what's going to be provided is the minimum because of the cost. And you have this child with this who can do so much more and access so much more and this child with this. And quite frankly, when they go home, they may not have any access at all. And folks go, well, everybody is connected. Well, that's not true. In Montgomery County, quite frankly, there are places where you, you can't get access just because of the where you, where you live. And they said, well, they can go to the library. Well, you have to have the transportation to get to the library. You know, people just do not understand that not everybody is at the same place they are. So that playing field has to be leveled in education. And folks have to be held accountable. Public education is under attack by the government. And that's from our president to our present governor that I'm speaking to. And every little thing that they can put in place, unfunded unfunded mandates, um, the governor this year, I'm going to give raises to teachers, 2%. Well, it was only a small portion of teachers. And all the other employees in the district were left saying, what about me? So you can't just do that. So the county, the residents had to come up with funds for us to help support the rest of the folks in the district who had not had raises in three years. So it's those kinds of things that just set public education up to fail. And again, follow the money because the corporations who will want to come in and take over the school systems, which 
right now, the state of Virginia has in place, and they have no plan as to what they'll do when they take over failing schools. I have challenged them. What's the plan? Well, we don't really know. Um, well, well, what's the plan? Well, it may be that we have to do some funding. I'm like, well, why not put the funds in public education right now instead of coming in and say we're going to take it over? So, quite frankly, one of your buddies who has the corporation, who's going to uh, do edu public education, much like the prison system, they will be making the money, mm -hmm. and we will end up with another separate but equal. It may not look black and white like it did before, but it will be separate but equal. You're speaking a lot, it strikes me, to this kind of the structural inequalities that have become sort of invisible to most of us. Um, as you think forward, you know, 10 years from now or, or 20 years from now, what would be what would be the vision you hope to see here in Montgomery County um, and, and the, the different roles of leaders to get there? Well, first of all, I would like to see the um, elected boards reflect the community. I would like to see that education, education would be a no-brainer, plain and simple. Okay, we need to pay teachers, we need to build facilities, we need to uh, offer courses, uh, we need to expose our children to as much diversity as we possibly can. They would be no-brainers. It would be, this is, this is what we do here in Montgomery County. Um, and of course, always, the color of someone's skin, their birthplace, would not matter as long as we're there they are productive citizens and to make sure they're productive citizens we put everything in place as we can in the educational system to help them get there um, and that you know we have a uh, very diverse county and for as long as I've been here all my life you know, it's been Christiansburg, Blacksburg, Shawsville, and Reiner, and very different communities, all wonderful communities, but that divide that's there between us, I would like to somehow have folks believe that everyone is being treated the same in each one of those segments in, in the community. Yeah. And that goes to some some of what the supervisors are doing now is they have uh, community dialogues in each one of the strands but they need to really listen to what the folks in the community are saying they need and then again as a, a county elected official you still have to take in the whole what's going to be best for the whole county and that may not be quite frankly what's best for Blacksburg or what's best for Reiner mm -hmm. you have to look at the big picture and then communicate that and have folks engaged in that uh, conversation so that they understand why we're doing things. You're never going to make any, everyone happy. And folks who go around trying to make everyone happy, I have watched, and they just make a mess of it. Okay? <laughs> so, you, you know, you'll have to do your best. You have to do the best you can. But that's what I would envision. I would envision, I would like to have my kids say they'd want to come back to Montgomery mm -hmm. County to live mm -hmm. because at this point, not happening. 
and to that end, um, so in the now to get to that vision, do you see in 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 your um, in your many roles partnerships that haven't happened yet but are sort of ripe for the picking or potential potential relationship building that you see that is that's potentially there between organizations, between community groups, between do you see as as your role as a leader things still that that just need someone to step up and begin to do them. Um, uh, absolutely. And it's not just it's we it can't be just someone's willing to step up and do it. Mm-hmm. This has to be a plan. Mm-hmm. If we as a county want to be a true county and have everyone engaged and involved at some level, and, you know, again, everyone, you know, it's a, a pie-in-the-sky thing. But to have a number of folks in the county engaged other than the usual, then we have to, we have to put funds into it. We have to make sure that um, employers are willing to let their employees be able to have the day off with pay, to be able to be engaged in conversations, to be able to attend meetings so that they do have a say and they are hearing how decisions are being made. And those are keys because folks don't understand when you're tied to a job, then you're tied to that job. And you just can't leave, but so often, if at all, to say, I want to I want to be a part of this discussion. So it's going to take some buy in by everyone to be allowed to do it by their employers. And, and that that's huge. I mean, that is huge uh, to have employers understand. I need to go to my child's school. Not because there's a problem or there's a teacher's conference, but I just need to go to spend a couple of hours just to be there. And I'm not going to be penalized for that. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the types of things. The, the money, when I say follow the money, if that money is being tracked back into the community for community to be engaged and be involved and be responsible, because I get so tired of folks saying, well, the parent wasn't here, uh, the parent couldn't go, and that means they don't care. It means they care enough to have a job mm-hmm. to support their families, but they can't do both. And if they were doing the other, then you'd be calling them something else. So um, lots of different levels, but there has to be a plan. There has to be funds. Our chamber needs to come together and say, folks, think about allowing your employees one day a year. Let them break it down into two hours intervals. That's eight hours, eight or ten hours, depending on what the shift might be, so that they can be a part of community. Mm -hmm. And if they're truly engaged and they're really working, because it happened with me, and someone says, we really want this person to really be here, write a letter, and when it's received by the employer, okay, we're going to allow you a week off to be a part of this process or to go to this conference to learn about community building or, you know, better ways that we educate our children. It, it, it takes plan. It will it'll have to be planned, deliberate, not just, well, it'll happen. 
How do, I guess this is uh, sort of the same question for two different groups. First, and I think you answered it a bit, how do you incentivize, you know, the employers to actually, you know, be concerned about what's going on in the community? And the, the second question is how do you incentivize the people that we are publicly elected officials to care about these particular issues that we've talked about in the community? Because often it seems if you follow the money, they don't currently have the incentive to address public education, for instance. Or, or the penal system or things like that. So how do you incentivize the employers who seem to be concerned about the bottom line, essentially, and how do you incentivize our publicly elected officials who also seem to be concerned about the bottom line? Well, as some people think, we walk hand in hand, okay? Um, for the employers, we hear, we don't have folks, we don't have a workforce coming out of our public schools ready to walk in to do the jobs that we need them to do. So if we have them understand, if you let the parents be more involved with what's going on with their children, with what's going on with public education, then maybe they will also understand, wait a minute, my child needs to be in the AP classes. They can do a whole lot more than this or my child is sitting in this classroom and what I'm seeing in the classroom, there's too many kids for the teacher to truly be able to teach them all. So the elected officials have to understand you have to put the money there to do it. Now, as far as public education in Montgomery County, you know, I can't do anything but praise the supervisors here for stepping up and doing what they have done to cover the gaps from the on the federal level and on the state level. So I don't have any corns with them except when they think they run the school system. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, you just fund it. You don't run it, right? And, and we have to have those conversations from time to time. Um, and when you say uh, they don't seem to care, that again goes back to what I said before. Yeah. Because there's there's so many dynamics that go on when these decisions are being made about your insurance ratings, your funding ratings, um, how this affects will affect this, how this will affect that. That sometimes decisions seem like they're made in the community is people don't they're not really listening to community, but there are also laws and regulations that have to that come into play too. Mm -hmm. But if I have folks who I will allow to go to a board of supervisors meeting, a town council meeting, and just like just like we have students who come and they get extra credit. Okay, you go to a board of supervisors meeting, a school board meeting, town council meeting, and you come back and show that you've been there, just like the students have to do. You get an extra day, extra hour off on a Friday. You know, those types of things to encourage folks to be engaged in the process, in the uh, decision-making process, and to help educate the community. It just won't happen haphazard. So um, if I wasn't an elected official, I may think a different way, but because I am and because I know how things can occur mm -hmm. that folks feel they didn't listen to a word we said. Um, 
that's not necessarily the case. And those are some of the hardest decisions that I've ever had to make when I hear community. And a lot of times it's only part of the community. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I've had to remind folks on my board when they say, well, where are they at? We didn't hear them. Well, they're working or they're taking care of their kids or they don't have a ride to this meeting at this time of night. You know, so their voices are out there. But just because they're not in front of you doesn't mean you don't you you're, you don't hear them. Um, so it's uh, again, it goes back to community deliberately putting systems in place where citizens can be involved. Yeah. I, I think it sounds as I listen to you. I think I'm also hearing uh, a need to build across multiple partners the recognition of the importance of building community. Yes. Uh, I mean, it sounds uh, to me as I listen to your many examples and and, and, and what you see out there as, as these pressing needs, that part of the challenge, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that, for example, the employers maybe don't recognize their potential role in making a community better, which then in turn might become better for their business. Right. And providing them with the people and the and the steps and the things that they need to grow and build and thrive as well. Mm-hmm. Um, to that end, um, what are some of the some what are some of the other things that we might be able to do to help build that educate that notion of community to build cross those boundaries of community? Um, dialogue on race, I think, is a great example of one of these things you do. Do you see anything? Mm-hmm. What's next for you? Is there something else you see out there that might help do that? Oh. <laughs> In your oh-so-free schedule. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell folks these days, I can't wait to retire so I can go to work. Because, okay? <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're tied to a job for 8 to 10 hours a day, that, that limits things that you would like to do. Um, I, there are lots and lots of potentials out there. Um, we have folks who fell through the cracks. This is one I haven't spoken about, but I always say once you say it, you have to do it. So, <laughs> um, we have folks who, quite frankly, went through our educational system and for whatever reason did not get the education they needed to be able to... Um, quite frankly, survive Mm -hmm. in the world that we have right now. Because it used to be that high school education when I came through, you know, it could get you a good job and you would stay there forever and have a pension and every life would be good. Well, it's a different world that we live in now. So there are folks out there who are truly, truly struggling. And I would love to have some um, retraining, some of it even goes back to the basics of reading and math skills that folks who have brilliant minds but don't have the ability to be able to use them. Um, so just simple things like that. I mean, like literacy volunteers on a on steroids, I guess, would be something where, where there's not a stigma. I need some help with these areas to help make my life better. To help, because that will help build people's confidence to be able to do other things. Um, and I, I want to go back and hit on a point that you talked about with employers, and you know, hoping that they would understand to be able to let their employees be more engaged. Uh, 
it also builds morale. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I work with a lot of people when we walk through the door. We're like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I hate being here. You know, and and those of us who've been there for a while before the world changed, you know, it used to be a fun place to come to work, as fun as work could be, you know, in a factory. But you enjoyed coming to work and you had a better relationship with the people that you worked with because you didn't have all the stressors of we lost half of our workforce, example. And the workload may not be where it was before, but there's still a workload with a much older workforce that you're trying, and this is not just my facility, trying to beat that production out at a higher level. And it's just not going to happen. So there's a lot of overtime and a lot of, you know, um, constantly if you got the numbers, if you got the numbers, you know, this has got to go, this has got to go, those types of things. That, and it wears on people. So where, if you know, they'll say in the U.S., our production is higher than it's ever been. Well, it's on the back of those who are left in the plants and even the offices to get that same amount of work out that two or three other people did. While the corporations are making lots and lots of money, the CEOs are making 400 times more than what the folks out on the floor pushing the things out are doing. That's just wrong. So that's one of those big places where we need to get, you know, get things back in balance. But the morale, that, that is a huge issue. Helping folks understand we want you to be a part of this community because we are a part of this community too, that will go a long way. Penny Franklin, thank you for being our guest on Talk at the Table. Well, thank you. It's been great having you here. Thank you. Thanks, Penny. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the work that you're doing to help build our morale <laughs> as a community. If I have to beat it in. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, you've been listening to Talk at the Table. I'm your host, Andy Morikawa. We've been in the studio with our guest, Penny Franklin, and our guest interviewers, Eric Hodges and Eli Jamison. Uh, remember, when it's Sunday at 2.30 to 3.30, tune in to Talk at the Table, where we engage folks who are providing uh, for our community leadership for change, who are helping to build a community that works for us all. So until next week, keep thinking and talking about community.